Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. And an early morning it is, right? Yeah, I figure you are the true morning people, the ones who come to Easter service at 8 o'clock and the ones who come on daylight saving time, right? Because it's really 8.15 for the next few days. I'll be telling my wife, you know, it's really, you know, an hour behind and she'll get tired of me saying that. And I've been saying that for 40 years and I never stop saying it. But anyway, uh, some habits die hard. But anyway, welcome. Welcome to everybody worshiping online. Greetings to everybody worshiping at Benton. Mid-1930s, three teenage uh, guys thought they were, uh, they were out looking for trouble, and they got on a bus in uh, Detroit, Michigan, and there was nobody on the bus except the driver and one man sitting at the very back of the bus. And these three teenagers thought that uh, they would just pick a fight, so they go to the back of the bus, and they start hurling insults at this man sitting in the back of the bus. And uh, he just ignores them and looks out the window and his ignoring them made them even more angry and they started hurling even greater insults at him and insulting his mother and everything else that they could think of to get him to, to stand up and fight them. Uh, but he simply didn't. A couple stops later, the bus, this guy got up, walked to the front and when he got up, they thought, oh, he's big. And they said, he's really big. And he walked by him and he simply handed him a business card. said, Joe Lewis, professional boxer. <laughs> and he just walked out the door. <laughs> Joe Lewis would go on to be considered the greatest boxer of all time. He would be heavyweight champion of the world from 1937 to 1949. It was said that he could punch, he could knock out a horse with one punch. I would love to know the backstory of that legend. Uh, but he was also a remarkably humble man, as seen in the fact that he could have pulverized those young men and given them a lesson that day that they would never have forgotten. Instead, he just simply walked off the bus. His fame and fortune as a boxer brought him a lot of money, but instead of using all of that to enrich himself, Joe Lewis was known as an incredibly generous man. He bought his parents a house. He brought other family members uh, homes and things that they needed. He was known for routinely giving $20 bills to people who were in need, and that was back when a $20 bill was a whole lot of money. Uh, he, he ended with financial ruin, but people who knew him said he was one of the most humble men that they'd ever met. Here, this greatest of all time. Um, today we continue our series, I Am H-O, in my humble opinion. We're looking at the, the subject of humility, the beautiful virtue that it is. And over the course of this series, have been giving you some definitions of what humility is. Uh, and I've got one today that comes out of a book uh, by John Dixon, a, an Australian historian. Um, called humilitas, which is where we get, the, it's the Latin word for humility. It's where our word comes from. And he defines humility this way. Humility is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resources, or your, use your influence for the good of others before yourself. He said it's, it's holding power in service to others. That day, Joe Lewis held his power and served those young men in the process. 
And nobody did this in greater ways than Jesus and how he used his influence, his power as the son of God among us to, to serve us, to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, so here we see that humility is it's more than just something we think. And we think often it's often how I think about myself. Humility is more about how I treat others than how I think about myself. It's more about how I treat others. And so um, I wanna look at this story in Luke chapter 22, and we're gonna see a couple stunning things here. Uh, first, we're gonna see a stunning absence of humility as we look at what the disciples were doing on this night of the Last Supper. So get a picture of the scene. Picture Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. And it just kind of inspires awe. It, 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 it inspires this, it kind of creates a sense of holiness. This was indeed a, a holy moment, one of the, the holiest moments in the, in the lives of the disciples in their three years with Jesus. Now they would only learn that in retrospect. They didn't know that that was their Last Supper with him, but it is. It's a powerful night. And here, on this holy night, as Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, as he is talking about his coming death, we read this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. Now here's this holy occasion. And the disciples are having a fight, which were, gospels tell us this was a thing they would circle back around to and argue about frequently, about who was the greatest. Something's wrong here, right? I thought about, I really, I, I, gave, I toyed with this for a little bit, just, just for a little bit. I thought, here's my sermon on this topic. I'm gonna title it, The Humility of the, Despi the Disciples. And I'd start it by saying, I wanna talk today about the humility of the disciples. They had none, which all stand for closing prayer. I really thought about that. World's shortest sermon, but you're not getting off that easy, okay? But they really didn't. Um, so here, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Because they were thinking as Jesus is talking that he's about to institute the kingdom. Well, in their mind, the kingdom was the king's gonna rule, the Messiah's gonna reign. And they, want, they want a position in place in his administration. They want places of honor, so they're jockeying for position and power. Now maybe what uh, precipitates or kind of ignites this argument is Jesus' announcement on that night that one of them will betray him. And when you, when you piece the gospels together, all the stories, you get, you get Matthew, Mark, Luke's version, John's, put it all together, you kind of see the fuller picture. When Jesus says that, they're immediately stunned and saddened and a couple of them go up to Jesus quietly and say, not I, Lord, surely not I. And maybe, I could just see how it progressed. They're talking and they're, they're sitting there saying, oh my gosh, one of us is gonna betray. And then someone pipes in finally, well, it wouldn't be me. I mean, I've been really loyal to Jesus more than you guys. And then they say, well, no, we were with Jesus on some of the greatest moments. I went up, John would say, I went up on the, on the holy mountain and saw the transfiguration. And then, you know, they just go back and forth about who was the greatest disciple, and I'm sure that Peter trumped them all. All he'd have to do is say, I walked on water. Where were you? I was getting out of the boat. I mean, really, no, okay, you win, Peter. Um, it's just crazy that here they're having this fight after walking with, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is after three years with him. Um, what this tells us 
is that active disciples of Jesus Christ can lack humility. Don't discount their devotion or dismiss their commitment to Jesus. These are men who walked away from everything, careers, families, homes, to follow Jesus. They were, they were uh, deeply devoted to him. When Jesus would give teachings that were really hard, and we read this several occasions in the gospels, Jesus would say things that were hard to hear and people would leave, crowds would leave and turn away from him, they would stay. They were loyal to the end. Um, they, they, um, they loved Jesus. They really did. They served him. Um, so I, I wouldn't discount at all their loyalty as disciples. It was deep and it was wide. But there's something else present that I think we often, we dismiss too easily in our day because it's just not an emphasis. We don't hear much about it. Present also that night within their hearts is the power of sin. And sin manifests itself often as selfishness. The self turned in on itself. We too easily forget how powerful sin is. And we would come into the world and some of the first words that we speak, me and mine, 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 mine. And we have to train our kids not to be selfish. It's deeply ingrained. The Bible, the Bible writers talk, call this the sin nature, the fallen nature. And it's very powerful and very present. And again, I, I think we forget this too easily today. Christine Kane, who is a speaker, writer, she leads an anti-sex trafficking ministry. You might remember we had her speak here about 13 years ago. Real inspiring person. She spoke at Exponential this week, and one of my friends was there in Orlando listening and said that um, she was talking about the radical hospitality of Jesus and that he ate with sinners. But she said, but Jesus had a presupposition that they were really sinners, We don't today. We live in the day of I'm okay, you're okay. You know, you just be you, we're all fine. I'm a basically good person. But friends, the Bible tells us that there is something so broken and out of line with God's idea of who he made us to be that it's, that it's all consuming. And it was that sin nature that was causing them on that day to have an argument about who was the greatest. Now I want you to consider also that they had been three years, three and a half, maybe it was like, more like three and a half years, in the training school of Jesus. They heard him teach about humility often. You study the gospels, you'll see that Jesus comes back to this theme of humility frequently. They heard it from his very lips. They witnessed his humility. And yet, on this night, they are displaying the complete absence of humility. Now, if we think about that really long, you'll get depressed. Say, my gosh, if these guys who have walked with Jesus for three and a half years, I mean, literally been with the Son of God on earth, are still deeply selfish, deeply proud, and lacking humility, then what hope is there? Um, 
have <clears throat> talked about uh, the book by Andrew Murray written 150 years ago called Humility, and a lot of you bought that book. And he has this quote, listen to this. He says, no outward instruction, even by Jesus himself, no argument, however convincing, no sense of the beauty of humility, however deep, no personal resolve or effort, however sincere, can cast out pride. Satan can't cast out Satan. Nothing but this, the new nature replacing the old. Humility only comes in power when the fullness of the Holy Spirit makes us partakers of the indwelling Christ. You know what would change them? The death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus and his sending the Holy Spirit 50 days later to fill them. See now, the Holy Spirit, Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, as he's called in the book of Acts on a couple of occasions, the Spirit of Jesus comes to live within. And now the Spirit of the one who said, I'm gentle and humble of spirit, lives within them. And then they become more conformed to the image of Christ and more humble. And that's how you and I become more humble. I'd like to say, if you'll just listen to these six messages, you know, we're gonna give over the seeds of the land, all on humility, and you play them two or three times a year, you're gonna become more humble. No, 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 won't work. Not apart from the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you because that brings the spirit of Jesus who is the spirit that is humble and gentle. Only the indwelling Christ. Jesus said it this way in Acts. He said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to be his witnesses, power to be transformed into the image of Jesus. So here we see with the disciples a stunning absence of humility. Now I wanna look at something else, a stunning path to true greatness. Um, so Jesus, as he often does in his ministry, uses this little spat among the disciples as they're bickering about who's the greatest of the disciples. Uh, Jesus uses it as a teaching moment. And he says in verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. He's talking about the first century world that they lived in. The kings and the emperors and the rulers of that day, they knew all too well. They were tyrants. The emperor of Rome not only was a tyrant, he declared he was God. Now, you know, sometimes our leaders think they're God, but they really claimed to be God. And you had to, say, you had to make an oath of confession that Caesar was Lord, that he was God. And so they knew what it was to live under tyrannical leaders and, and, and powerful people who were only interested in uh, getting out of them what they wanted. Verse 26, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. So Jesus comes along to the world's way. It takes power and influence and resources and uses it to serve themselves and flips it upside down. Says, no, you don't be like that. Now, it would get their attention. All they had to do is say, you know, those Gentile rulers, and they're like, oh, I don't want to be like that. He says, yeah, exactly. In my kingdom, it's gonna be different. In this kingdom, the youngest serves the oldest because in that day, if you were the youngest in the family, you had to do jobs nobody else had to do. Okay, I don't know how you worked in your family, but that's how it worked in the first century, okay? Um, and, and also, the, the greatest person was the one who sat at the table, not the one who served. Jesus said, not in my kingdom. 
It's just the opposite. Uh, it's, it's for others. It's serving others. You see, what God gives us and what God change does in us is for the benefit of others. We talk a lot about spiritual formation here at LaCroix. We even have a spiritual formation department with a couple pastors and other folks on staff here. And we talk about the means of grace and many different ways that you can be formed in Christ, that, it, that, that God's goal for your life is to make you like Jesus. Uh, probably the, one of the best books written on, the, on spiritual formation in my lifetime, I think will be read 100 years from now, is Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. Uh, late professor from, from Asbury Theological Seminary. And he defined uh, spiritual formation as this. He said, it's a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now in his book, he explains that if you put the period, a process of being conformed to the image of Christ there, boom, it becomes kind of a self-centered endeavor. It's all about me and me becoming more spiritual, me becoming more like Jesus. But he said, all of that the transformation is so that you would serve others with it. Because this is what Jesus did with his power and authority. And so, only John in his gospel tells us the story of the foot washing. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. Many believe that right here is where it happens, right after he says this, that this is where he takes off his outer garment, he wears his inner garments, which is how slaves would dress in public, and um, he gets a basin filled with water and a towel. And he goes to his disciples and washes their feet and they are absolutely stunned. All they had ever witnessed in their life is that the youngest person in the family did that or the slave. It was the person lowest on the totem pole that did the foot washing. It was a, it was a stinky, dirty job. People wore sandals, the roads were dusty. It was a courtesy that you would show hospitality, but the, the host, the most important person in the room would never ever consider stooping so low to do that. Maybe that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell the story because even years later, they're still trying to grapple with the fact that the Son of God, the Messiah, washed their feet. In fact, when it came to Peter, remember he objected. He says, no, Lord, may it never be. You're not gonna wash my feet. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And he consents. John, writing decades later, tells us the story. Because it sunk in finally, I think. And many believe that, that the verse that comes right now, this next verse, is immediately after washing the feet of the disciples. And I think he, John, he says, uh, you've, uh, what I've done for you, now you need to do for others. And he said here, he says, for who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Simple observation, right? In a, in a, in a, in a room and there's an important meal going on. The important people are at the table and the most important person's at the head of the table. And then the one who's waiting on him is the least important person in the room. That's how it works in our world. But Jesus said, I am among you as the one who waits at the table. He turns our whole understanding completely on its head um, by serving their feet. And he says, what I have done for you, you need to do for others. Elsewhere, Jesus would say, the greatest among you are the ones 
who serve. The ones who's serving at the table, not the one who sits at the table. is truly great in the kingdom of God. And that takes humility. It took great humility for Jesus that night to wash the feet of these 12 men. What a powerful display of humility. But the most powerful display was yet to come. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week, about the cross. And how the cross forever changed how the world would see pride versus humility. But here... It's a simple act of serving. And down through the ages, Christians have believed that when we engage in simple acts of service, that it's a means of grace. We talk a lot about spiritual practices here, prayer, reading scripture, fasting, silence, solitude, worshiping in a group, giving. There's all kinds of means of grace, that when we do these things in faith, God gives us grace, which is another way of saying the power of the Holy Spirit. Serving is a means of grace. When we serve, God gives us his grace. And so here, um, Richard Foster, who's been one of the great writers of the spiritual life in our generation, um, talks about the principle of indirection. Richard Foster wrote a great book that uh, impacted me greatly when I was a teenager back in the 70s called Celebration of Discipline. It's still read by many, many people, highly recommend it. He wrote what he believes was his last book just recently. And uh, uh, it's, it's on the subject of humility. And, and in this book on humility, he talks about the principle of indirection. In other words, you don't get humility by direct effort. You won't become more humble by trying to be more humble. In fact, trying to be humble will flare pride up in your heart. That old, that, that, that sin nature, you know, it'll, it'll get flared up. It's kind of like the thing, you know, you know, the old thing of uh, don't think of, don't think about a pink elephant, right? For that. If I say for the next 30 seconds, do not think about a pink elephant. Whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. What are you going to do for the next 30 seconds? You're going to think about a pink elephant. It just, it just, that's just what happens. That's how our minds work. So if the, if the purpose of this series, every week we say, go and be more humble, be more humble, it's going to backfire. It's going to make pride flare up, and pride's going to get more entrenched than it was before. No. Foster says you follow the principle of indirection. You, you go about it indirectly. There are certain practices, certain things that we do that lead to humility. And one of those is Service. Now, I don't know how it works. I don't really know how the means of grace work. I don't know how it works that if you read scripture day after day after day after day, that the mind of Christ begins to get developed in you. I don't know how that works. I don't know how fasting, going without food, begins to train, uh, transform our hearts. And I don't, I don't know how serving makes me more Christ-like, except, you know, the act does but it's, it's this means of grace. It's a divine work that God does in our hearts, in our lives, when we serve. Because here's what, here's what it does. Serving brings us down to earth. That's what it does. It brings us back to earth. Earth, soil, dirt, humus. Humus is soil, humus is dirt, humus is where we get our word, humility. It shares the same root. 
What Jesus did was he got low. He got down close to the earth. And he took that basin and towel and he washed their feet. If you have influence, if you have resources, if you have position and influence over others, even more, and a lot of it, the best thing you can do is to be brought down to earth now and then. And that's by serving. Um, And serving in menial ways brings us back to earth. Remember his definition? It's uh, the noble choice to forgo your status and deploy your resources, your influence for the good of others. This is exactly what Paul tells the young pastor Timothy to do in his letter to him. And he, he says, he gives some instructions on teaching the rich among them. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Do you, know, you ever notice that wealth can make people arrogant? You ever, ever notice that? Folks with a lot of money can look down on people who, who don't have it? That's right. He says, so teach them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then he says, then he says how to do it. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So Timothy says, you know, those rich people in your midst, you tell them to do good. You tell them to be rich in good deeds. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to bring them down to earth. It's going to give them humility. They're going to take their resources, their money, their, their, their influence, their power in this world, and they're going to direct it to others for the good of others. And, and so here's one thing I would say. If you've been blessed with the world's resources and money and position, and all, almost all of, all of us in America, I mean, most of us in this room, compared to the world, are wealthy. But let's just even talk about American standards. What happens is the, the more wealth a person gets, the more we are able to outsource the menial tasks of life, the daily things that we'd rather not do. So we hire people to cut our grass. We hire people to clean our house. We hire people to do the laundry and all. That's all well and good. It gives jobs to other people. That's great. But we, we, we can, if we're not careful, we get ourselves away from doing the menial things. And that's where we learn humility. And so one of the greatest things we can do is to take the resources, the money, the influence, the position, the jobs we have, the power, and use that to serve the needs of other people. Talk about a, I talked about Joe Lewis, who's considered the greatest boxer of all time. Let me talk about the greatest mountain climber of all time, Edmund Hillary, Sir Edmund Hillary. Um, this May 29th will mark the 70th anniversary of Hillary conquering Mount Everest. It is considered the greatest mountain climbing feat in history, especially when you consider the more uh, compared to today's equipment, the more primitive equipment that he had available to his resources for him to do that back in 1953 was truly astounding. And it brought him worldwide acclaim. It brought him instant fame. It brought, it, it, it gave him celebrity status and a lot of wealth. And he got all kinds of honors. He was knighted. He was admitted to the most prestigious order in the British Empire, the Order of the Garter. He had all of the great honors pitched his way. And you know what he did? He started this thing called the Himalayan Trust, where he took his money and invited donations from others and poured it into helping 
the people of Nepal, the Sherpas, who were the guys that brought them up the mountain. You see, it wasn't just Hillary that ascended Mount Everest that day. It was uh, his guide, his Sherpa guide as well, Tenzin Norgay. And um, Hillary developed a, a love for these people who were poor. And he took, in, through the Himalayan Trust, he built schools, he built hospitals. He improved the lives of the, the, the Nepalese as much as he could. He used his influence, he used his fame, he used his money to serve others. That's what great people do. If I were to ask you, who's the greatest person that you've known in your life? I bet most of you would say your mom, right? There's some bad moms out there, but most of them would say your mom, why? Because your mom changed your diapers, she got up in the middle of the night when you threw up and cleaned up your vomit, she served you, put her knees second to yours, and cared for you day after day after day, year after year, year after, it's what moms do. We have these examples all around us. Years ago, we, about 10 years ago, we had a, a young family attended church here, and they had a, had a young girl who was, um, had severe disabilities when she was born and never able to walk. And so they would always park right outside my office window or, or uh, handicapped spots. And he'd always park there. And, and you know, before I'm getting ready and getting ready to come in service, every week I was, I was treated to a, a beautiful picture of, of greatness. He'd walk, pull up the car, walk around the other side, to the back, he'd get the wheelchair out, unfold it, bring it over the door, pick his daughter up, put his daughter in the wheelchair, and wheel her in. And then when it was over, he'd wheel her back and go through the process again. He did this every day, everywhere they went. I thought that is greatness, true greatness. The goat, the greatest of all time. Joe Lewis was the greatest of all time. Edmund Hillary, the greatest mountain climber of all time. But was it because they climbed mountains or was it because they could punch out a horse? <laughs> Or was it because they took the resources that they had and used it to serve others? My favorite, one of my favorite MLK quotes is, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Um, will you be great? Will you be great at the, when it's all said and done and your life is over and you and I give an account before Jesus, will we be called great? The answer to that question has to do with how we serve. And you see, serving, remember, releases the power of the Holy Spirit and only the power of the Holy Spirit can overcome the pride and the selfishness within. And it's just one of the ways that God uses to transform us. Will you be great? The answer depends on if you serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you how you demonstrated through the humility of Jesus true greatness. Thank you, Lord, that on that night you washed the feet of the disciples. You, the greatest of all time, did for them what was 
simply unheard of doing. And we thank you for, um, for the many uh, ways we've been treated to true greatness. So God, I pray for those who have maybe gotten out of the habit of serving, that, you, that they would be brought back to earth to humus, to humility. Lord, help us to be those who serve one another. So right now where you're at, um, I want to invite you to pray with me, um, to open yourselves to the power of the Spirit. So if you, if you would like to do that, um, you can maybe put your your hands out in front of you, open, palms up, which is a symbol of receptivity. And in your heart, you can say something like this, come Holy Spirit. Have your will and your way in me. I'm tired of trying. May you change me from within. Open my eyes to ways that I can serve at home, school, neighborhood, my family, my church family. God, help me to be more concerned about serving others than being served. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us anew with the power of your Spirit. For we pray in the name of Jesus, the servant of all. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.